Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Home in Vestavia Hills, Alabama. And my family had come to sort of help clean up this little house that we had, that we had bought. And we had a little dog uh, at the time. And we realized that, you know what, what we really needed for the house in particular to make it really nice, we needed a doggy door. Y'all ever have a doggy door before? These doggy doors are pretty cool, okay? So uh, I, I, I grabbed my brother, and my brother and I decided we're going to go out uh, into Birmingham, and we're going to find a doggy door that will fit uh, the back door of my house. And so off we set. We left my mom and dad and Angela and uh, some other family members there working, and Spencer and I head out, and we're going to go buy this doggy door. We go to uh, maybe like one of these PetSmart stores, and uh, sure enough, we find a doggy door that's going to fit uh, at our house and work for, our, for my dog. And right next door to this PetSmart place uh, was a, a store uh, that, that many of us have fond memories of, a, a store called Circuit City. Remember Circuit City? That was a great store, man. Remember, remember back in the 80s, you'd go in and, and you couldn't buy anything off the floor. You had to go pull a ticket, and then you'd walk to the front, you'd buy it, and they'd send it on that conveyor belt. Remember that? That was really cool. I, I always just thought that there were like elves or something working in the back, and it was like they just pushed the stuff out to you. Well, my brother said, Stuart, you know, you just got this house, and, and uh, I know we, we just got this doggy door, but he said, do you know what you really need? And I said, no, what, what do I really need? He said, you need a new television set. And I said, you know, I do need a new television set. That's true. I didn't know I needed it, but you're right, Spencer. You're speaking truth to me right now. And, and so uh, we walked into Circuit City, and we began to look at TVs. And, the, you know, this is back in the early 2000s, so the flat screen deal had not quite uh, come into fruition yet, but we were walking around, and uh, I, I found a TV that I thought was really nice. It was like a 32-inch, and Spencer said, no, no, Stuart, that's way too small. That's way too small. And I said, okay, well, I mean, what, what kind of TV do you think, you know, I need? And he said, oh, you need to come over here, and so he took me over uh, to this other section, and there it was. Y'all, it was gorgeous. It spoke to me on a real metaphysical level. You know what I mean? I, I saw it, and when I saw it, the, the clouds parted, birds started chirping, angels, choirs were there. It was a 62-inch Panasonic TV, and it was fantastic. And, uh, and so my brother and I, we began to talk, and I said, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to buy this TV. And my brother brought up a valid point. Do you think you need to, to ask Angela first? I said, no. No, 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 no. You don't understand. My wife, if she is anything, she wants me to have the best. 
She is understanding. She will certainly see that we need, we, I'm doing this for her after all. Guys, have y'all ever been there before? You're doing, I, I, was, I, I, I was being very selfless at the time. And so I, I bought it. And uh, I, I was sent to buy a $20 doggy door, and I ended up spending about $1,500 on a television set. Now, here, here's sort of the thing about these TVs. If you remember, these things are huge. I mean, this thing probably weighed 400 pounds, and it was one of those tube TVs. And, and there was a couple things after I, had, after I purchased it as I was walking out to the car. Uh, how many of you have ever had buyer's remorse? Ever had buyer's remorse? I immediately felt this wave of remorse because there were several problems that I had. One, I didn't ask my wife. Two, uh, I didn't have the money. Uh, I, I just put it on a credit card. Bad, bad idea, okay? Uh, three, uh, I didn't exactly even have room for the TV. I had no idea where this behemoth of a TV was going to go. And so my brother was tickled. He thought it was just great. Man, you're the coolest, Stuart. You just went out and did it. And I said, uh, yeah, I know. And I, I was kind of sweating it a little bit. And when I got home, some of you may think, well, I bet that conversation when you got home, when you tell your wife that you had bought this TV, I bet that did not go very well. Actually, that conversation went really well because I didn't tell her. <laughs> Uh, it took me about seven days probably to finally get around, oh, yeah, honey, let me, you might want to sit down for this. And, of course, an argument ensued. You know, one of the things I realized about that purchase, and this is what happens to us when materialism sort of seeps into our system, what I realized about that purchase, the purchase was more important than the partnership, that that purchase became a wedge between me and my wife. It created arguments. It created dissension. It, it didn't bring peace and unity into my home. Instead, it brought war into my home. War. And friends, this morning, let me tell you, we live in a society today that focuses more on getting than on giving. You know, I think about how many people I could have sent on a mission trip. Think about the mission trips that I could have gone. Think about the benefit that my church could have received if, if I would have just given that money to them. It certainly would have been spent wiser. And so many times we focus ourselves on what we can get, we, what we can get from one another, what, can, what we can get out of the church, what we can get out of our jobs, what we can get out of our spouses, what we can get. It's all about me, 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 and my wants right now. And we never consider the cost of that purchase. See, some of you might think, well, that TV cost you $1,500. No, friends, it cost me a lot more than $1,500. It cost me a lot more than what was in my wallet. I promise you. And so, this morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a giver. And here we are in this season of Thanksgiving, and I think that giving is a huge part of Thanksgiving. And so I want you to fill in these blanks for me, if you will. Giving in the Bible is discussed profusely. Giving is a topic that is discussed almost more than anything else. Do you know that Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven? Did you realize that? 
It's true. Giving is discussed profusely. The words give, gave, and gift are mentioned some 1,300 times throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the very first conflict that we see in the Bible, the conflict between Cain and Abel, we see that the conflict came over a gift, over an offering, an offering that God was pleased with and an offering that God was not satisfied with. Giving is mentioned some 1,300 times. The word money, just the word money, is used over 140 times throughout the duration of Scripture. The Bible also has plenty to say about gold. The word gold is mentioned 417 times. Silver is mentioned 320 times. Wealth is, wealth, excuse me, riches, inheritance, and debt, and poverty are mentioned literally hundreds of times throughout the Bible. The Bible discusses giving and gifts almost more than it discusses anything else. And yet we find ourselves not really wanting to talk about it. Isn't that humorous? Oh, because again, we live in a culture of what we can get and not so much about what we can give. We also need to know not only is it discussed regularly, but it also drives the church powerfully. Without your gifts, our church is stuck in the mud. We cannot move forward. We can't pay salaries. We can't turn on the lights. And more important than all of those things, we cannot do the mission that God has called us to without the generosity of God's people giving back to the church that which actually belongs to God in the first place. Oh, friend, do you know that there's nowhere in the Bible where it says it's okay not to give to the church? There's not one single piece of Scripture that says, you know what, I think I'm just going to keep my money. I think I'm just going to keep my talent. I think I'm just going to keep my time. It doesn't matter what's going on in God's church. There is absolutely nothing biblical about not giving to your church. Not one thing. I would even say that when we choose not to give, that's a sin. And that's a sin that grieves the Lord. It's a sin that really should grieve you in your heart if that's where you are today. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45 gives us the spirit with which we are to live our lives. Listen to what it says. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and good, and they gave to anyone as they had a need. We are to give generously because it drives the church powerfully. Now, at the same time, not only does it do that, but there is also a great reward for when we give. There's a great reward for when we give. It displays God's blessings profoundly. It displays God's blessings profoundly. When we choose to give, you are putting on display a generosity that is not often found in our culture or in our community. When you choose to give, you give not out of the abundance of your wallet, but you give out of the abundance of your heart. Therefore, if you choose not to give, you don't have a wallet problem, you have a heart problem. And so this morning, we want to give because, one, there is blessing. It puts on God's display of his glory, of his generosity. It literally tells people in our world that, you know what, if I give, I'm a child of God not a child of this world that holds things selfishly and hoards things. 
Listen to Jesus' words captured in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. How does it start? What is the first word that Jesus gives to us? Y'all, that is weak. Bunch of weak Christians in this room this morning, apparently. What's the first word that Jesus tells us? These are instructions to his disciples, to these believers. What's the first word that Jesus gives? That's better. Give. Give. But then, look, there's a comma. Give, and what will happen? And it will be given to you. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm just reading what Jesus says. So, on the converse of that, what, what happens if we disobey this? Oh, Jesus, I tell you what. This is my money. I'm going to use it the way I want to use it. This is my talent. This is my gift. I'm going to hoard it. Oh, my friends. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Oh, but there is that converse warning. If we refuse to give, oh, we will be missing out on a blessing. And not just a small blessing. Read what else it says. It says, give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be poured into your lap. Y'all, man, what a promise. What a promise. The other day, I was uh, taking out the trash. Uh, I, I, I do that because I have to make up for the fact I bought that TV years ago. <laughs> the other day, I was, I was taking out the trash. And we have three trash cans in my house. Three trash cans. My family, God bless them. I love them to pieces, but they produce a lot of waste. And so I had poured in all this trash, and I still had one trash can to go. And so do you know what I did? I went into our kitchen where our big trash can is. I put my hand in, and I smashed all that trash down, and I poured that last can in, pulled it out, zipped it up, took it outside. Well, friend, let me tell you, God is not in the business of giving us his trash. He is interested in giving us his treasures, And you can imagine that here you have this treasure that God wants to give to you. Can it be monetary? Can it be financial? Of course it can. But God wants to give you so much more than that. How how many of you ever met somebody whose riches can be but miserable on the inside? Oh, I have. God wants to give you so many more things, more precious than money. He wants you not to be miserable, but he wants to give you his glory. And I can imagine God, after he's poured his blessings on us, reaching his huge hand in, smashing it down, and pouring more in, and just pouring it all over our laps. Let me tell you, friends, some of the happiest, most joyful people, the people that seem to have the most peace in their lives, are the most generous with their time, their talents, and their treasures. It's those folks that want to hold on to what they have, that seem to have the most problems. I was listening to a podcast the other day about an interesting person, not a good person, but an interesting person. His name was Jeffrey Epstein. Maybe you've seen the memes as they've been rolling around on Facebook. Jeffrey Epstein was a billionaire. He had planes. He had New York mansions. 
he lived an incredibly sinful, selfish lifestyle. And of course, we know how he met his end. Friend, money does not make the man. Money does not make the man. But I promise you this, that when we display God's generosity in our life, I will make a promise to you that God will bring to your life more peace than you ever could imagine. Oh, friends, let me tell you, God wants you to see his blessings. He wants to give, and he wants to give to you good measure, pressed down, poured in your lap. So let's look at Roman number one. Three theological perspectives on material wealth. The first one is a poverty theology. Oh, there's some people that believe, well, I just need to be poor. I need to sell everything I own, and I need to live destitute, and I need to not have any, any material possessions. And friend, I, I will tell you, that's an imbalanced view. It, it teaches that we should have a disdain for possessions, and some who hold this position would say that it's wrong to have an excess of things or an excess of money. And yet, if you go into the, to the, to where the New Testament church was birthed, some of the more important people that helped that church find their traction were people that had wealth and money, and they gave generously to the church. Oh, friend, let me tell you, our church even has had some wonderful, influential people who have helped us from the very beginning get to where we are today. God has used them and their generosity so that we as a whole could be blessed. Oh, friend, let me tell you that God doesn't necessarily want you to go live on the street. The poverty theology is not healthy and it's not right. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore by your forefathers as it is today. So then we have letter B. We have the prosperity theology. Now, uh, our culture does not live much in the poverty theology. If anything, you'll see more and more pastors teach about the prosperity gospel. How many of you have heard that phrase before? The prosperity gospel, where God wants you to only be happy, healthy, successful, and wealthy. Oh, friends, let me tell you, you don't really see that displayed much throughout the Bible. I often say, and, and some of you may find this somewhat controversial, God doesn't care about Stuart's happiness. He doesn't care about your happiness either. He has cared more about your holiness. God wants you to live a life that is set apart, used for him. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't lead a happy life. I'm very thankful that I have a happy life. I have a happy wife. I have happy children. It doesn't mean that every day for me is good, and it doesn't mean that I won't have bad days in the future. I certainly will. But see, we have prosperity preachers that have large churches where people flock in to see them, and all they'd say is that God wants you to be nothing but happy. Well, friend, you have to tear out a lot of the New Testament and Old Testament to get to that point. There's a lot of seasons where people suffer and suffer mightily for the Lord. After all, Paul said, you know, for me to live as Christ is gain, right? But, but he also wants to die, my goodness, 
And Jesus certainly wasn't happy when he was on the cross dying for my sin. And prosperity theology is dangerous. It assumes that prosperity is the reward for righteousness. And this is a cause and effect relationship and implies that God is happy with you. He will bless you financially. If God is happy with me, I'll get stuff. If he's not pleased with me, then I won't have possessions. You know, Paul taught Timothy that those with a corrupt mind would try to trade godliness for financial gain. If you want to, you can read from the screen or in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what Paul says. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. (coughs) Oh, friend, beware of that message. Run our sermons through the filter of God's word and ask where these sermons about prosperity and about poverty line up in regards to God's word. Friend, sometimes godliness does not lead to financial gain. And do you know what? That's okay. That's all right. It's gonna be fine. And then we have letter C, the proper theology The proper way to view our possessions is that they are a trust given by God that we are responsible to manage. Everything belongs to him. And we are serving as stewards whether we are blessed with a lot or a little. You remember the story of the widow's mite? Oh, people were walking into the synagogue. They were making great shows of their financial prosperity. And Jesus was sitting with his disciples and in walks a widow. Oh, she was in a sad state of affairs. She hung her head low. And she walked in and she dropped in a widow's might, the smallest piece of of monetary good, of monetary wealth that those ancient times had was a mite. It would almost be like you walking in and dropping in a penny. And Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who gave more? This woman who had nothing and yet she gave the very last of what she had or these folks who really didn't really give as much as they could have. At least monetarily they gave a lot, but they had more And the disciples answered appropriately. They said, well, it was the widow. Even though she gave little, she gave all she had. Friends, when you look at your gifts, and understand when I say gifts, I'm not necessarily talking about your financial means. I'm talking about your spiritual gifts that God has given to you the day that you accept Christ as your Savior. Your spiritual gifts. You've got physical talents that God has given to you on the day that you were physically born. And then you've also got financial wealth. 
But friends, we are but mere stewards of those goods. They do not belong to us. God has merely placed us as managers over the things that we have. Spiritual gifts, physical gifts, financial means, and time. We have a limited amount of all of it, and we are meant to be good stewards of it. And so our proper theology, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, it doesn't much matter. We have to be managing it wisely. And again, there is no scripture, there is no biblical message where it allows believers to withhold that which belongs ultimately to God. Whether that be a financial offering or whether that be a, a, a spiritual gift or physical talent, we are meant to share God's gift with the world. This morning I woke up, and one of the things I do kind of as a routine, and maybe you do it as well, I, I checked my email. And I got the strangest email this morning. It was from a guy named Kevin. And he has been watching our services on YouTube. And it was really fascinating because apparently he found a wedding that I had done back in 2015. And he went back and he watched that wedding. He's a single man. He's 59 years old. And Kevin said that he watched this wedding and he was moved by it. He was moved by the bride and the groom. He was moved by the message that was delivered to them. He was moved by the music that they had. He said, something stirred in me. He said, you know what? I've come across a lot of pastors in my day that I, that I really have felt that over the years that they've abused me. And I've noticed that my, in my spirit, I've become spiritually paralyzed. And he said, but after watching these services and after seeing that wedding in particular, something has stirred inside of me that makes me want to come back to church. He said, you know, God has given me a gift. That's his word. He said, God has given me a gift. And he said, I love music. I've been playing the piano since I was a young teenager, and I've never used that gift to glorify the Lord. And then he asked me, he said, uh, Brother Davidson, would you mind praying for me that I will find the right church where I can use my gift for his kingdom? And so this morning I arrived at church and I was praying about that email and I sent him a word back thanking him for that. He didn't tell me where he lived. He didn't tell me where he was from. I have no idea. I asked him in my email, can you share with me your location? I'd love to help you find a church. But I encouraged him to use his giftedness. Use it. Don't waste it. Use it. Don't abuse it. Use it for God's kingdom. Oh, friend, let me tell you, every single person in this room has a gift. You may not feel that you've got much financially. That's okay. Uh, Bryant and I were talking the other day. Do you know the most precious resource that is at Eastern Shore Baptist Church? Do you know what it is? It's not what's in our bank account. Friends, let me tell you, this church is not here to be a bank. We are not here to be a savings and loan. No, we're here to use your gifts, my gifts, God's gifts, so that we can reach people for Christ. I, I really do. I, I pray that every single year we end up breaking even. 
because we have used all of the gifts that have come in to God's storehouse for his mission and for his purpose. Amen, Ed Councilman? Amen. Oh, friends, we've got a problem if all we're doing is saving money. We're not here to hoard. We're here to reach. But I was telling Bryant Thompson the most important resource that we have here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church is not what's in our bank account. It's the people that are sitting in the pews. You. You're the most important resource that we have. And without you, we can't do very much. And so whatever your gift is, whether it's a gift of prayer. I had a sweet lady walk in my door this morning. She knocked on my door. She stuck her head in. And you know what she said to me? She said, Stuart, I just want to let you know I love you and I'm praying for you. Maybe, maybe your gift is the gift of prayer. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. Maybe you get on your knees and you clasp your hands at your bedside every day and you pray for this church, you pray for the ministers, you pray for lost people, you pray for your family, you just pray. Well, God bless you, you pray. Maybe your gift is singing. Maybe your talent is playing. Maybe your gift is preaching. Maybe your gift is teaching. Whatever your gift is, if you're not using it, you're sinning. If you're not using a gift that God has given to you and you're sitting on it, oh, why are you doing that? Use your gift. Oh, well, you know, there's lots of reasons why. There's lots of reasons why. Well, I, I don't know. There's no place for me. Well, make a place. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. The, the, some of these people just make me so mad. Well, yeah, of course they do. I, chances are you've made somebody mad too. This, this is one of my favorites. I love it. Well, I just, you know, that I, I preacher, I tell you. I'm just kind of, he said something the other day, and it just kind of flew all over me. I didn't like it. It made me mad. I'm just going to keep my money. My seven-year-old has the same mentality, by the way. <laughs> dad, he, you know, dad, dad he, he wouldn't let me have my iPad, and I'm just mad, and, and I, I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at him. Jet was playing. We were at a basketball tournament yesterday, and he had uh, run around, and he had collected uh, bottles, like Gatorade bottles and stuff, and he had set them up just the way he liked them up in the stands. And he dropped down a few stands, and he had some bottles down there. And you know what he started doing? He picked up those bottles, and he started throwing them at the other bottles. And the bottles were going all over the place. It was spraying people with nasty Gatorade trash. And, and, and I looked at him. I said, Jet, what are you thinking? And I was so understanding. I asked him the most loving question a father could ever ask of a son. I said, have you lost your mind? And Jet just looked at me. We have a saying in my house, when, when Jet gives you that look, we call it the Chinese stink eye. <laughs> he just looked at me, and he got mad, and he began to mumble under his breath, and I could hear him talking. I'll be honest with you, I've heard church people do the same thing. They don't get their way. They don't have something that they don't like. I'm going to throw a little hissy fit, a little tantrum. 
Oh, friend, don't have that attitude. Jesus says, give, and it will be given. With a good measure, pressed down, shaken up, and it'll be poured into your lap. You are stewards. So what does the Bible say about our finances? Very briefly, one, build a budget. Build a budget. This is something, by the way, that Angela and I work on quite regularly. It's very tempting many times to spend outside of your means. After all, we have such access to credit cards and all types of loans these days that get us turned upside down. Friends, do you know that my generation and the generation after me, Gen Xers and millennialists, or the millennials, excuse me, Gen Xers and millennials have collectively the most debt the world has ever seen. Between my generation and their generation, we literally have trillions of dollars worth of debt. And where this impacts the church, you who are the generation above me, so baby boomers, right? Yours is the last generation of financial fiscal responsibility that this country has seen. And by the way, if you look at the income of the church, a large deal of the income, the financial success of the church, is not dependent on my generation or their generation. It's dependent on your generation. Why? You have more expendable money, more expendable resources than my generation and their generation. Now, I, I want to be truthful with you. Do you know, baby boomers, that one day you will die? It's true. Okay, it's true. You will die. And do you know what will happen to the church? The church will sorely miss your generosity. Because you'll have generations that would love to give, but we have so indebted ourselves to this culture that we will not be able to do it. And it will impact the church. And it already is impacting the church. So it's important for those of you that are my age, really any age, but in particular my age, to have some type of a budget to where you can live off of what you've received and not spend outside of that. And again, Angela and I, we have to really work on this. We have to really look at our finances and our financial obligations to try to make sure that we're not doing that. And be honest with you, there are times where we still do that. But we have to call ourselves and pull ourselves back. For those of you that are married, sit down with your spouse today and, and review your finances so that you can save, so that you can earn, so that you can give in the future. Luke 4, uh, excuse me, Luke 14, Jesus talks about budgets. Listen to what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Suppose you want to build something, okay? Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Will he not first sit down and create a budget? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
Growing up in Montgomery, Alabama, I would drive to school every day on Vaughn Road. And on Vaughn Road, I began to notice that they were building a church, a big whopper of a church, big open field. And day after day, I would drive by and I'd see the progress of this church going up on Vaughn Road. And so uh, a period of weeks and months goes by, and eventually all the progress that was being made building and constructing that church stopped. And, and all that was out in this great big field as everybody was driving by it was just sort of this structure, a skeleton, if you will. You could see visually it was a church, but structurally nothing else was taking place. Come to find out, the church built something that they weren't prepared to build. And they ran out of money. It bankrupted the congregation. And do you know it's still there today? That steel structure just sitting there, rotting away. Well, friends, may that never be said of us, whether that be corporately as a church or whether that be personally, always have the budget. Look at letter B, dump your debt. Dump the debt. Credit cards are dangerous the average credit card debt in the United States right now is about $15,000. The average mortgage debt's a little more than $150,000. And get this, the average student loan debt is nearly $35,000. Now that's the average, and we all know people that have way more than that. Listen to this. In total, American consumers owe $11 trillion dollars. $849 billion in credit card debt, $8.03 trillion in mortgages, $956 billion in student loans. And friends, if you don't think that debt is going to come home to roost in the church, you are fooling yourselves. We better get control of our giving and we better get control of it now. Otherwise, we won't have the resources to continue to give. Credit cards can be a noose around our necks. It can, it can be the weight that capsizes our boat. If you have multiple cards that charge interest for carrying debt, uh, those cards, then friends, discontinue it. Be wise. Be good stewards. Debt, by the way, of any kind is not very good. We need to, to stay away from it. Listen to what Matthew says. Or excuse me, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Romans 13, verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Oh, friends, build a budget. Do your very best to get out of debt. <coughs> and next is start saving. In premarital counseling, I often encourage uh, our friends who are getting married to do something very basic, to try to live on the 90% of the income that you have received and then give of the 10%. And make sure that you are giving and make sure that you are saving. 
In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, it says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours everything that he has. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says this, that the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but to those of everyone who is hasty, those things lead to poverty. Proverbs 6, go to the ant, observe her ways, and be wise. Having Look at her, having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in, har- in, in harvest. And lastly, Genesis chapter 41, and let them gather all the food for those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of the Pharaoh. Remember Joseph? He said, listen, you're gonna have seven unbelievable years of plenty. And out of that that plenty, you better have some major storehouses because after those seven years, you're gonna have seven years of famine. And the Egyptians listened and they stored and they were prosperous during that time. Oh, friend, whatever you have, think about it. Live on the 80%, save the 10%, and give 10%. And if you can't give the 10% or save the 10%, then start with another percentage that works for you and grow into it. Grow into it. That's something that Angela and I have been trying to do. Every year that I've been at Eastern Shore Baptist Church, Angela, she she does a lot of our finances, which I'm very thankful for. But every year that we've been at Eastern Shore Baptist Church, we have increased my retirement 1%. 1%. And we're trying to reach a threshold. And friend, you can do the same. But you have to purpose it. You have to plan for it. And you have to save it. Lastly, We have to count the cost. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you have to go spend it. Ask yourself these questions. Can I survive without this? Can I get a better price for this? Generally, if we give our longing a few days, common sense wins out and we realize that our need was really just our want. Friend, if if you've got somebody who's a bad influence on you, especially with your spending habits, don't take them to Circuit City with you. Oh, my brother didn't ask me if I wanted it or needed it. He didn't help me count the cost. Surround yourself with good influences that help you manage your money responsibly. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is impulsive exalts folly. (laughs) It's a good one, right? So lastly, very, very quickly, Now what? When your finances are in order, you can give. You can give worshipfully. Do you realize that when you give, let's see, when you give, when you put an offering, somebody already done it, when you put an offering in this offering plate, it is a sacrifice of worship. When you give, To the church, you give worshipfully. I would even say this, that if you have yet to give, you've not really worshiped. When you withhold, you don't just withhold tithes and offerings, you withhold your worship of God. Give worshipfully. I'll I'll tell you this, whenever I look at this offering plate, you know, it's also really easy just to give a check or to give money. 
But friend, what I would tell you to do is think about putting your entire self in this offering plate. Give of not just your financial gifts, but give of your spiritual gifts. Give of your physical giftedness as well. Uh, Let me tell you, we should treat this offering plate in many ways as holy as we treat that cross. Because this goes to God. I'll, I'll tell you what this is not. I'll tell you what this is not. This is not a suggestion box. Let me, let me say this one more time. This is not a suggestion box. It, and, when, and when we put our suggestions in, we cheapen its value. Now, can you put a prayer request in? Of course, because that goes to God. Can you put yourself in? Of course, because we go to God. Can you put your financial gift in? Of course, because that goes to God. Let me tell you what a suggestion box is. It's called email. It's called a phone call. It's called a personal meeting. Now, one, one way people use the offering plate is to, is to write something down, and, and, and they can put it in the offering plate, and guess what they don't have to do? Put their name on it. Well, here's the deal. If you don't want to put your name on it, then maybe you shouldn't suggest it. But this is a holy instrument of worship. And putting anything else in it cheapens it. Give worshipfully. Give worshipfully. The next point as we wrap up is this. Give compassionately. Give compassionately. Make sure you give. And by the way, isn't it wonderful that as we give to the church, there are other organizations too that depend on our gifts. Oh, I I love organizations like Women's Care Medical Center that help women as they progress through pregnancy. Oh, Brian, you love Prodigy Pantry. I guarantee you, you probably uh, give to them. Uh, I love FCA, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. All of these are wonderful organizations that you can give to. You don't just give to church, but you can give to other things. And when you build a budget and when you save and when you're diligent about those things, you can give to a lot of different places. But give compassionately. And lastly, give generously. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for what? What does God love? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Give cheerfully. Give with an understanding that your gift is going right to God and that God's going to use it to build his kingdom. Oh, friends, remember, this isn't all about a financial offering. This is about physical offerings. It's about spiritual offerings. And I hope that all of us will dedicate ourselves to being good givers. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning thanking you for your gift. We have a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be thankful for, Lord. Because you are the greatest giver ever. And Lord, we want to follow your model, your example of what it means to be givers. Lord, in this season of Thanksgiving, I pray that you will help us to understand that, realize it, and deploy it in our own lives. 
Thank you for this wonderful congregation this morning. Thank you for the great week that we have had. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, you will be honored by our giving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.